Welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Jenna Ellis Show. I'm so excited today to have my good friend Joel Rosenberg on to talk about his brand new book, Enemies and Allies. He has been a great friend and a great uh, foreign correspondent from Israel. He knows a lot about the history, not only of Israel and foreign policy and the interactions between the United States and why the U.S. absolutely should continue to support Israel, but also from his own perspective, uh, being a member of the Jewish community and understanding, uh, not just from a political perspective, but also as a Christian, from the theological and biblical perspective. He has wrote a number of bestsellers, some excellent books, and I would highly encourage you to follow his work. He's the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and is uh, deeply invested in not only providing great commentary on what's happening in Israel and the Middle East, but also giving that from a truthful and biblical perspective. So before we get to his interview, we also have to talk about the fact that the Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed and when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. We're already seeing record inflation and that's the very last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble and you need to take steps to protect yourself and your retirement. So if all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. And gold is one of the best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold. They can help you roll your retirement account into a gold-backed IRA where you still own the physical gold. They can also ship gold and precious metals safely and securely to your house. So call Legacy today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. And joining me now is my good friend, Joel Rosenberg, who we were just chatting before the broadcast that I think the last time I saw you in person was at the National Religious Broadcasters last year. So we need to remedy that very soon. And uh, you're over in Israel now in Jerusalem? Yeah, that's where we live. And I'm speaking to you from my my home office slash studio. And uh, shalom from Jerusalem. It's great to be with you again, at least least, uh, in an interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so hopefully um, either you can come this way or I would love to visit Jerusalem again. I've been there uh, to the Holy Lands only once in my life, and it was such an amazing experience. And to be there in the places that Jesus walked and understanding uh, the depth of Scripture from an immersive perspective like that, uh, the tour guide who was a Messianic Jew, uh, which was, of course, you know, wonderful for that experience. As we were going up to Jerusalem for the first time, um, he said to us, you've read the Bible in black and white, and now you'll read in color. Yeah. And I loved that. It really is. It, it's, it's like 
enjoying your favorite movie on your phone and then watching it in IMAX. And you're, you're stepping into the story. And one of the exciting things is after the horrible last few years uh, with uh, COVID and all the restrictions that have come with it, some maybe uh, fair and good and others insane, uh, but Israel is beginning to reopen now. And what we're watching is, in fact, our news service, All Israel News, is reporting that a lot of major Christian leaders, pastors, ministry leaders are now setting their tour dates for 2022 and heading into 2023. We're really starting to see, we haven't seen any of them arrive yet, but they're beginning uh, Max Lucado and Chuck Swindoll and Pastor Skip Heitzig in Albuquerque uh, and others. And so it's, it's encouraging. And uh, tourists are allowed to come back. There are some restrictions in terms of um, vaccination stuff. So we're not out of the woods yet. It's not total freedom to just come and go as one pleases. But we're moving finally in the right direction. And you're right. It's, it's one of the most incredibly exciting experiences to come for the first or second or third time when you think, you know, it, it'd be like if you were a J.R.R. Tolkien fan and you're seeing street signs that say this way to the Shire, you know, this way to Mount Doom, this way to, you know, wherever. And you're thinking that's that's a real place. It's so mythic in our minds, and our hearts as, as Americans, as Christians, as Jews, as others that we think, that can't be real. I can't actually be rolling into Jerusalem or to Nazareth or to Jericho or Bethlehem. And so it's pretty cool. And of course, to live here, it's even it's even better, but uh, it, it never loses yeah. its magic. Yeah. And I love that analogy because it's so true that often Christians, especially, you know, those of us who haven't been able to uh, live and experience Israel, even some, you know, for the first time, yet you almost do think of scripture and some of what we typify as stories in the Bible as less than real places or historically accurate. And we do think of it as almost mythological because um, we've heard these stories growing up. Um, if you've grown up in a church, if you have a Christian community, but to come and see that it is actually a real place and the historicity of the Bible is profoundly real, it's accurate, and to understand that this is the scope of uh, the story of history and truth and fact become alive. And uh, that was something that in my own experience traveling to Jerusalem and especially going on the Sea of Galilee, um, taking that boat tour was one of the most fantastic experiences. And to to actually contemplate that that was the real physical location of um, of the stories in the Bible that we sometimes do just take for granted as um, and unfortunately sometimes is fiction when they're really not. Um, so I hope that I'll be able to come back and visit. And I know I'm um, included in those. You. Yeah, and you should come and do a week's worth of shows from here. There's such interesting people that we can line you up with. Um, you know, one of the things we're doing with our all Great. Israel news and all Arab news websites. We're interviewing uh, people in the government, people, people in archaeology, people in business and in culture, and of course, and of course, in the faith communities. Uh, there's, a, mm -hmm. there's a growing and healthy and wonderful uh, Christian community here, Messianic Jewish community, uh, Jews who believe in Jesus. There's also fascinating rabbis who don't believe anything that I believe about Jesus or that you believe, but but are still like, look, there's a lot more. There's a lot we do agree on, and and they're open to talking. So. You'd have a um, 
you have a treasure trove of, uh, of, uh, of guests that you could have on your program. Great. Well, looking forward to that, and you'll be at the top of my list. And I know my uh, Salem colleagues, Dinesh D'Souza and Sebastian Gorka, have also uh, are looking at some dates to come. I think the end of this year. So I'm talking to them. Maybe you know, for the listeners, stay tuned a little bit uh, to see whether or not I'll be able to join them. I'm looking at that on my calendar. That would be an excellent adventure. So uh, definitely go and look at uh, their tour. And um, I, that's on Sebastian Gorka's America First website. You can also go to, um, of course, his show and Dinesh's to get all of those dates and information. But uh, if I can, that would be an amazing, amazing adventure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Joel, with your experience there and uh, how prolific you have been in writing uh, and also reporting the news out of Israel, uh, you have a brand new book that is uh, called Enemies and Allies, and it's taking the uh, really fascinating story of, of the modern Middle East. So um, for those of, of us who maybe aren't familiar with um, some of the distinctions between the tensions that are going on currently that really have roots, you know, well back into uh, the Old Testament and biblical history, uh, what made you for purposes of this book focus on that particular topic? Well, as you know, Jenna, I am mostly known as a political thriller writer writing novels, right? Making it up. Uh, It's fiction. Uh, It's usually about uh, threats to the United States, to Israel, to our allies uh, that come from radical Islamism. Um, Although I have a novel that feels very much ripped from the headlines right now. It came out a few years ago called The Kremlin Conspiracy. When I talked to it with President Trump about it in the White House, he got a little nervous, but I was like, no, no, not the allegations against you. I'm talking about uh, a, a Russian dictator threatening to invade his neighbors and the U.S. trying to figure out how to stop that. We're, we're watching that right happen, play out uh, this winter yeah. uh, with the threats from Putin uh, re- related to Ukraine, but also possibly the Baltic states. But all that to say, this new book, uh, Enemies and Allies, is nonfiction. Um, I've written a few nonfiction books over the years, but this one was important to me. It was a passion of mine. Why? Because Enemies and Allies looks at where is the Middle East 20-some years after the horrific events of September 11, uh, 2001, right? That was a, a, a complete pivot point, a hinge in history. You can think of life before 9-11, and then you think of life after. You think of life before most Americans didn't really think about a threat of radical Islamists, they did, you know, maybe they, you know, things happen overseas, the Iranian Revolution, what, you know, yada yada, but it was like, yep, that's a, that's bad, but that's not really a problem for us. That's really a problem for Israel. It's a problem for our Arab allies, but that's not a, a thing that we have to worry about. And 9/11 taught us, well, no, people in caves have figured out a way to turn American aircraft, jumbo jets, into missiles, and to kill the most Americans in history, uh, and certainly the worst sneak attack since 9-11. So the question became, I'm sorry, since, since Pearl Harbor. So the question was, 20 years later, what are the threats that we face? Who are our enemies now? Hmm. Um, and because Al-Qaeda is a problem, but they're not the major threat that they were 20 years ago. Uh, ISIS is a problem, but it's not the type of threat it was 20, uh, 15 years ago, let's say, 10 years ago. Um, So who are our enemies today and who are our allies? We have a lot more allies in this part of the world than we used to. But the reason this book is is 
unique, Jenna, and, and the main reason I did it was because over the last several years, four or five years, uh, God has opened up some crazy interesting doors for me to go sit down and spend hours and hours and hours in the palaces all throughout the Middle East meeting the kings, the crown princes, the presidents, and the prime ministers who aren't analyzing the, the, the rapid, sweeping, tectonic changes in this region. They're the ones making the decisions. So I've led six evangelical leader delegations into the Arab world over the last five years. Two of them to meet President al-Sisi in Egypt. One of them to meet King Abdullah in Jordan. One of them to meet the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of the United Arab Emirates. And, and two trips to go meet the most controversial and I think consequential uh, Crown Prince and leader in this part of the world, which is on the positive, on the ally side, which is Mohammed bin Salman, uh, known as MBS, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. So this book, Enemies and Allies, doesn't like look from a distance and say, well, this is interesting, this is happening, that's happening. No, no, no. I take you into the motorcades. I take you into the palaces. I take you into the throne rooms, and you're hearing on the record, with all the notes that we took, the conversations that we're actually having with with these leaders as well as the leaders of Israel, um, what do they think? Uh, what's the future? What's what's changing? Why are they making peace with Israel? Uh, so that's what makes this book unique, interesting, and it's the only book so far. It's the first book. It's the only book so far that tells the inside story of how the Abraham Accords came about, which of course was the the greatest. Uh, foreign policy success among among many, but the, in my view, the greatest foreign policy success for the Trump Pence administration was the brokering of not one or two or three, but four Arab Israeli peace deals. This is the book that tells the inside story. Wow, and that is so fascinating. And for people who have supported uh, the president, uh, President Trump, and of course supported the Abraham Accords, and understood um, what a monumental success for peace that was, and are now concerned uh, moving into the Biden administration, and now you know a year later to see the difference in that administration's uh, view and tenor toward Israel, toward the Middle East. Um, what is well, first of all, I want to ask you, what do you think is, not to give away any spoilers, uh, but the most fascinating part, um, or maybe just one tidbit from that book that, um, that will make people really want to get inside the motorcades and the throne rooms and so forth with you? I think the most uh, important element of enemies and allies is hearing each one of these major Arab Muslim leaders. These are Muslims. They're not Christians. They, I don't see the world the same as they do uh, uh, theologically. And on a number of political issues, we disagree. But what's fascinating is how consistent they are that America is the good guys, that Israel is their ally, and that Iran and the world of radical Islamism is the problem. Right? Yeah. If you look back 20 years ago, Jenna, you think... Weren't the Saudis the problem? Weren't 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11, weren't they Saudi citizens? Wasn't Al-Qaeda invented by a Saudi, right? Osama bin Laden. What, wasn't, now, it, it's not that the Saudi government 21 years ago was 
was for terrorism, but they had created a very permissive, very tolerant society for extremism for a number of reasons that I explain in the book. But now to sit and hear the, the, the heir to the throne of Saudi Arabia, the, the most powerful man in Saudi Arabia, aside from his father, the king, who's fairly ill right now. So to hear the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, say to me on the record that the leader of Iran, the supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, is the new Hitler. Hmm. That's his view, right? And that, he, and that MBS has fired more than 3,500 extremist clerics from the mosques, that he is changing the textbooks to get rid of anti-Semitic, anti-Christian teachings that had been in Saudi textbooks forever. You know, mm -hmm. so, and then you, leader by leader, as you go through the region, I, I, you hear what they say about radical Islam, and that they're, but you also see all the evidence I pulled together that shows that these guys are really fighting actively with their intelligence services, with their media, with their air forces and ground troops, they're actually fighting the same enemies that we're fighting, and they're being effective at that. That is not something that was happening 20, 21 years ago. That's a huge, huge development. And it's not perfect, don't get me wrong, but it's, an, it's, it's a huge change and it's very encouraging. Yeah, and I think that would actually surprise uh, some people who maybe either haven't followed this as closely, obviously, as you have, or are just seeing uh, some of the headlines. And you know, so with those um, individuals and, and that um, that type and tenor to to actually be moving forward in, in a, an encouraging direction, um, a lot of Americans tend to be so myopically focused on okay, well, what is America's uh, view and role in all of this, how significant really in the world stage, not just in our own view, because we're here in America and, you know, this is our country, how significant to all of these players is America's support of Israel? Well, it's absolutely fundamental. Uh, I mean, there has been no greater ally of the Jewish people and the state of Israel uh, since 1948 um, than the United States of America. The United States was the first country to officially recognize Israel's independence 11 minutes after our founding prime minister, uh, David Ben-Gurion, declared independence on May 14, 1948. Uh, President Harry Truman, a Democrat, but a good uh, conservative on foreign policy. Uh, would probably be a Republican today, comparatively. He would be a Republican today, <laughs> yeah. but he makes... You know, he made the decision. And his secretary of state at the time said, no, you have, we can't, we're getting our oil from the Arabs. You can't go <laughs> support a mere 600,000 Jews that are starting their new country. Like, no, that's crazy. Truman was raised as a Bible-believing Christian. He saw the horrors of the Holocaust. He knew what Bible prophecy taught, that Israel would be a country one day, and he decided we're in. It took time to see the United States formed the, the closeness, the strategic alliance um, that we think of today. Uh, that really didn't come until, in many ways, until Nixon, Kissinger in 1973, but even more with Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, okay? But the whole U.S.-Israeli strategic alliance took a light year leap forward under the Trump administration. President Trump uh, I, and I told him this in the, in the Oval Office, uh, and, and the conversation is in the book, okay? 
Um, and you know, Jenna, like, <laughs> and we're friends anyway, right? Because I was a never Trumper uh, in 2016. I was, I would be for eight, the 18th of the 17 Republican candidates. I was like, I'll for be for any other one, mm-hmm. but I didn't see that Trump could do it. He had like no a lot of us. I mean, a lot of people didn't know him outside of his celebrity status so to then consider him. A, a politician and not really having having any experience or background or context, a lot of genuine conservatives were very concerned. And thankfully, as we continued to get to know him, he ended up being, uh, you know, and I think both of us are some of his strongest supporters uh, now and even in the first uh, few months of his presidency. And so it's a That's great right. thing when people surpass their expectations. But, you know, you're not alone in that view. Mm-hmm. I mean, people know that um, I was very openly a cruise supporter initially and thankfully uh, he did not get elected as president I'm so grateful that Donald Trump had what I think will be his first four years um, in his administration and uh, look forward to everything that is to come well that that's exactly my story and and where I differ from those who were in the never Trump camp in 16 is I changed yes. uh, and I you know there are still of course a band uh, a remnant of those who will say, I will never support Trump no matter what. And I, I said, listen, I still have disagreements with the president. I did, you know, there's things that I don't like or, dis- or I disagree with. But one of the things that we have to be able to do is say, it, you know, the Bible says, give honor where honor is due, give credit where credit is due. And I said to the president in this conversation, I, I told him I was a never Trumper. And you know the man better, way better than me. I don't think it happens that often that somebody actually uses the term never Trumper in the yeah. Oval Office with President Trump. I, like it, it, They may say it outside, but they don't say it to his face. But he listened. I explained why I was. But then I said, but let me list the 11 or 12 things that you've done mm-hmm. that has completely changed my view. Not that I still don't have some disagreements, but like sure. you really sort of stunned me that you've done these things. And a lot of, I, told, I said, you will go down in history as the most pro-life and the most pro-Israel president in American history, even if that's all you do. Now, there's a lot more. But, but if you look at Israel, he moves the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. He declares Jerusalem the capital of the state of Israel. No other country had done it at that point. Um, he declares the Golan Heights is sovereign Israeli territory. He tears up the insane and dangerous Iran nuclear deal. He imposes the maximum pressure sanctions campaign on Iran. He sells Israel F-35 advanced uh, stealth fighters, and so on and so on and so on. It was really quite amazing. And then, and then, does something that almost nobody in Washington thought he could do which was broker for Arab-Israeli peace agreements. And when you look at someone who everybody, many, many people, myself included, thought there's no way this guy has the knowledge, much less the experience, much less the fortitude to do any of that, and then he does it, you have to give that person credit. Yes. You, you don't have to give them a 100% grade, an A-plus necessarily. There's other things that I would say, okay, well, I didn't like that. There's too much spending or it was this or that. But, but like, it's, it's not healthy to not be able to see 
that you were wrong about something and that somebody way outperformed your expectations. And I think that's the flaw of of the modern Never Trump movement. Vaccines have not eliminated the Chinese Fauci virus, so we all need extra protection for our immune systems. My friends at Centurion Labs have combined five key ingredients to defend your immune system against allergies, cold, the flu, and even the coronavirus. It's called Centurion Defender, and it incorporates vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, copper, and quercetin in just one capsule. No more swallowing 10 pills a day or not taking supplements because the individual cost is just too high. So take one Defender with breakfast and one with dinner and keep living your life. Just like the Centurions of Rome led by example and held themselves to the highest possible standards, Centurion Labs has dedicated the last 15 years to research and develop safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products made in the USA that you can trust. For a limited time, listeners of this show can save 20% off their first order of Centurion Defender. Visit centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and use the promo code J-E-N-N-A. Defend your health today with Centurion Defender. That's centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and the promo code Jenna. Centurion Labs, that's with an S, centurionlabs.com forward slash J-E-N-N-A. Absolutely. And that's the honorable position because if we're always comparing facts and our assessment of individuals to our principles, the principles don't change but how we apply that to the facts, if the facts change or we learn new information, then that can change our assessment and analysis and critique ultimately of individuals. And it's also not an all or nothing. I feel like the never Trumpers in the current era uh, now, and especially throughout his presidency, uh, just refuse to acknowledge the good things. And they were so stubborn and arrogant in their position. They didn't want to be wrong. But those of us who are principled over our own ego would be able to say, wow, I'm glad that initially my assessment, not knowing the facts, not knowing um, also, you know, having really no indication other than his promises, he didn't have a track record as a politician. So we didn't have anything else to go on except his promises. Once he started fulfilling those, then we can reassess and compare to our principles and say, wow, this is amazing. And it doesn't mean that, okay, therefore we support 100% of everything he's ever done in his entire life. Um, And I I don't think that anyone can support 100% of any of us because we're all sinners. We all have have failed. We also, a lot of us, like President Trump, have a past before he became a Christian, have a uh, past while he was a Democrat. He changed his mind, and thankfully he did, and became a Republican, became a conservative. And I love the point that you emphasized, Joel, that uh, was more of an expansive view of President Trump's perspective on pro-life because so many of us in America look at um, that, I think, very narrowly in in a very positive way to President Trump and say, okay, he attended the March for Life. Um, He appointed conservative justices that hopefully this year will significantly undermine or overturn Roe versus Wade. That's huge. And I actually had a conversation with him the day that Roe versus Wade was argued. And I called him and said, I am so encouraged, Mr. President, that I think the greatest thing in the legacy of your first four years is that you are going to be so instrumental in overturning and undermining Roe versus Wade. And regardless of anything else, that is so significant. And thank you for that. And, um, and we had a conversation about that and it was, um, you know, I, I just, I love president Trump and I love, uh, all of the conversations I'm able to have with them, but that, that view, I, I, I missed you. That was the, that's the other thing you and I, 
almost saw each other at Mar-a-Lago in ah. December. You were there, yeah. I think, on a maybe a, I don't know, a Thursday night or a Wednesday night, and I was there on a Friday night uh, having di- dinner with uh, Chris Ruddy, uh, head of Newsmax, founder of Newsmax, and, and, and the president came over and spent time with us at our table, and it was a fascinating conversation. It was off the record, so I, I you know, but, but it, you know, it was on Israel, it was on Iran, it was on uh, the state of play in the United States um, and, and the state of play in the, in the Middle East, and on how, what a pro-life leader he has been. And look, this is, this, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take readers in this book, Enemies and Allies, to not just to view the Middle East, which is complicated and it's, it's high stakes, everybody knows it's super important, but sometimes you just, people get, they're overwhelmed and they think, I, I don't understand it and I know it's a big deal, but it's just too much. I don't even know where to begin. And yeah. so what I try to do is say, well, then come with me. You know, sort of jump on the plane, get in the motorcade, and let me introduce you to the very people that are changing history. Let's meet them. It's almost like a series of, of major magazine profiles, cover stories, where you're where you're going into the White House and you're sitting down in the Oval Office. I've written so many novel scenes for my political thrillers in the, about that uh, events in that room. I'd never been in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it. I'm 54 years old. I lived in Washington for 24 years, but I was always on the wrong side of whatever administration. <laughs> Nobody was inviting me in, apparently. So, <laughs> so to have the first ever meeting in the Oval Office with a president that I had not voted for, for until the well, I did at the last moment, but I'm just saying, you know, it had been didn't originally. But to have that conversation, and then multiple conversations with Vice President Pence, with Secretary mm-hmm. Pompeo. I mean, you get a wide view of this administration, um, and you and you begin to see what was it about Trump that allowed him to break through and make four Middle East peace deals. Arab-Israeli peace deals when none of his successors had done it for a quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I won't go into all of it, but I will make one point here, Jenna, that I, that I my assessment in talking to all these people, including him, uh, was that Trump essentially um, led with what I call the George Costanza doctrine. <laughs> he, Trump and Jared Kushner and Pompeo and all the rest of the team looked at what all his predecessors had done and realized as a deal maker, he was watching that they weren't making deals. Well, why? He wanted to understand why is it really that a deal can't be done and maybe it couldn't be done then, but have the, have the conditions changed? Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating, he realized that every person before him had tried essentially the exact same strategy and got the same results, nothing. And so he decided to do what George Costanza does in one of the Jerry Seinfeld you know, programs, which is do the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. If everything you've done is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. That's Jerry's famous <laughs> line. And so Trump says, well, what would be the opposite of each of these moves that Obama and Biden made, that George W. Bush made, that Bill Clinton made, right, going way back? And he concluded, well, let's, let's try the opposite. And the opposite was to hug Israel, to get closer to Israel, to do more to show that we were standing with Israel, and to take a hard line against the crazies in Iran. Mm-hmm. 
those two decisions, which are the exact opposite of the Obama-Biden decisions, yes, uh, where they created daylight with Israel and then went and gave $150 billion to the Iranian regime, by doing those two things, not only did they win over Israel, what else happened? The moderate Arab states, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, even Sudan, not to mention Jordan, Egypt, said, yes, th this guy realizes, President Trump realizes that Israel is not the threat in the region. We don't agree with Israel on everything, but they're not the problem. Iran is the problem, and they must be dealt with, not, uh, with, with, with firmness, not appeased. And this changed everything. There's one chapter in the book, Jenna, I'll just note that two years before the Abraham Accords were announced, I'm sitting in Abu Dhabi, the capital of the United Arab Emirates. My delegation is with me, and we're talking to Mohammed bin Zayed, the crown prince who made that peace deal. Well, he told us in detail that why he was going to make peace with Israel, that he was going to make peace with Israel, and he said he was just looking for the right moment. The problem with it at the time, it was very exciting, but the problem was it was off the record at the time. So we were sitting on the biggest bombshell news story in the, in the modern history of the Middle East. Another Arab country is about to make peace with Israel. We couldn't say anything, and we didn't because we kept our word. But when that story erupted, right, when Trump announced on August 13th, 2020, that with Netanyahu on the phone and Mohammed bin Zayed on the phone, that this peace deal had happened, A, I wasn't surprised. B, our All Israel News website covered it in great detail. But the point is, I can now tell the inside story of, of, what, of what transpired and again, I think a lot of Christians, a lot of Americans, uh, conservatives, over the last two years have been understandably so focused on internal issues of the economy, of COVID, of race riots and race relations, of other types of riots, of course, a, a, a dizzying and, 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 and destructive and divisive political campaign. They didn't focus on the game-changing events that were happening in the Middle East. And so I think... This book not only fits that moment where people are going, wow, we, we ought, you know, now Biden is trying to make another deal with Iran. Is that good? Is that bad? Um, and I profile Biden in this book as well. Um, and um, it doesn't come out so well. <laughs> yeah, probably not like uh, anything else uh, in the contrast of Biden versus Trump. But, you know, this um, this book is amazing. It's excellent. And I appreciate um, you. You gave me a copy. I love it. I hope that uh, everyone listening will get a copy of this because it filled in, as you said, a lot of um, not just the gaps in the understanding, but I think um, having more of a circumspect view of uh, what was going on in the administration and how President Trump's focus was absolutely America first, but understanding what that meant on the global stage and with our true allies and with the right moves in terms of uh, foreign policy and understanding the United States position uh, on the world stage. And so as uh, we're looking forward, and, and just in the last few minutes I have with you, uh, Joel, what 
can Americans or what should Americans expect now moving forward um, in the Biden administration? Because as you just said, uh, Biden's profile is not great. And unfortunately, uh, we don't have President Trump right now in the Oval Office. Um, so over the next you know, three years and looking forward to the midterms and then ultimately the 2024 election, um, what can we be encouraged by? What's a drawback? And how should we as Christians be praying for Israel? Well, it's a great question, great series of questions, Jenna, and I'll try to be concise. First, in the book Enemies and Allies, um, I do profile uh, Biden, um, and I try to, I really truly try to be fair. You know, um, it's interesting because I, two of his closest friends, two of Joe Biden's closest friends, um, say this. Uh, former Defense Secretary Bob Gates says of Biden, and I quote him in the book, I love Joe Biden, and he's, he's, he's a great man. Uh, he's kind. He's compassionate. If I had a personal problem, I would call Joe Biden. I know he would help me. But on foreign policy and national security issues, he's been wrong on every one of them for the last 40 years. Now, I quote him because he's not an enemy of Biden, right? He's one of Biden's closest friends, saying the man's judgment is deeply flawed. Now, in fairness... I point out that Biden hasn't done everything wrong. He's very pro-Israel. Um, he stands with Israel on the Iron Dome funding and uh, uh, missile defenses and other types of things. But he doesn't. But he. But his judgment is so flawed that he doesn't understand Iran. He didn't understand Iraq. He clearly doesn't understand Afghanistan. But here's another one that I actually didn't think I didn't. I didn't remember, honestly, to put it in the book. And I'm going to be uh, honest with you, Jenna, as I always the try. The sequel to is coming up. <laughs> Barack Obama, who asked Joe Biden to be his running mate, right, and they spent eight years together, President Obama said on the record that never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F up the situation. Yeah. These are two friends of his, okay? So you, we really have to understand that Joe Biden means well. I don't, I don't, I'm not challenging or questioning his motives. I'm questioning his judgment. And and I explain, even though I didn't, I didn't even remember the the Biden or the uh, the Obama the Obama quote. I should have, but um, but using the other quote, I explain what risks are ahead. Okay, mm -hmm. and we we already saw the risk in Afghanistan that because Joe Biden thinks he understands the region, okay, he thinks he's been around Washington for fifty years, so he thinks he is an expert. The problem is he has incompetence matched with hubris. Mm. Okay, I said this on Eric Metaxas a couple days ago, or in December. It's, 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 it's incompetence, which is bad enough, but when you match it with arrogance, you think you know what you're doing and you don't. And yeah. so everybody in the Middle East policy world told Joe Biden, don't surrender to the Taliban. Don't pull out the last stick in the Jenga game. Biden was sure that it would be fine, and he pulled it out, and the whole thing collapsed. And that single surrender to a terrorist organization in a country we had already won has emboldened all of America's enemies and rattled all of America's allies, mm. and not just in the Middle East, but all over the world. So we've got to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel, and we and we got to pray that the Abraham Accords expands. The country to watch for, I think, there are several, 
but the main one would be Saudi Arabia. Can Israel and Saudi Arabia make a deal? That would be historic. I mean, really, really, to, to, to quote President Trump, it'd be huge. Okay? <laughs> I mean, really, it would be really huge. So, but, but really, we're in a high-risk situation. In the Middle East, Iran feels emboldened. And I'll just wrap up with these, these three quick, super-fast points. Iran is thinking, we're so close to building nuclear weapons, we got scared by Trump because we thought he might bomb the crap out of us, so we'd better hold back. But now with Biden, we don't think he's going to do anything, so maybe we should go for it. Maybe we should go for the bomb. That's problem number one. Problem number two is Vladimir Putin actually worried that Trump for all the talk that you know Trump was in bed with Putin and all this kind of crazy talk, Putin, uh, Trump was actually tougher on Putin than than the Obama administration was. Yes. And so, but so Putin, what Trump was so unpredictable that Putin wasn't sure if he could take aggressive action because he thought Trump just might go crazy. He talks nice, but he might actually stop me. So Putin was quiet mostly in the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. Now he's getting ready with 100,000 troops to possibly invade Ukraine and maybe the Baltics. So then the third one was the Chinese, of course, the communist Chinese knew that Trump had their number, was negotiating tough with them, was putting more US forces out in the, in, in, in the Pacific. And the Chinese were very cautious because they weren't sure if they made a mess, misstep that Trump might actually do something. They don't worry about Biden, and they're trying to decide, should we just go seize Taiwan? We've wanted it forever. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the moment. This is incredibly dangerous, Jenna. All of our worst enemies are looking around going, maybe this is the moment. This There's is the no moment. Leader. And that's what, that's what leader, that's what an election, that's the consequence of an election. And especially as, as, as crazy a one as 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on that note, we could talk uh, <laughs> so much more on that. And, and you and I certainly have. Um, but these are some fascinating insights. I hope that everyone gets to your book, Enemies and Allies. Um, it's on Amazon. Uh, anywhere else books are sold. And, so, and also on audio. So people say, oh, I don't great. have time. Fine, get it on your phone, on Audible, or whatever service you yeah. like. And listen to it while you're driving to the store, driving your kids to school, driving... Uh, you know, wherever, doing errands. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you so much for your insights, and um, definitely we'll have you back on as obviously there's so much going on uh, between, uh, you know, all of these different players, and I always love to have your insights, and thank you so much, and um, and may, you know, God continue to, to bless America, to bless Israel, and uh, for the remnant of us who are still standing strong and standing firm, even in the midst of these really, really difficult times. Well, Jenna, I appreciate it, and I appreciate your, your friendship towards Israel and that alliance. And I'll just close by saying uh, the book, of course, gives the big picture. The day-to-day -day movement, that's still an ongoing story, and that's why I started the website All Israel News. Mm -hmm. People can find it at allisrael.com. You can follow us on Twitter, but you can also sign up for our free email newsletter, which comes out every day or two with all the breaking stories, all the major stories, allisrael.com. I hope it becomes a resource for you and all of your listeners. 
Yeah, and it's fantastic. And I, I tweet a lot of your articles. We definitely follow Joel on uh, Twitter and other social platforms uh, at Joel C. Rosenberg and uh, All Israel News as well. And thank you so much for your contributions to this and always telling the truth and standing up for uh, biblical values and uh, being a really excellent reporter. And, you know, this is such a great and fascinating book. So thanks so much for your time. Great to see Bless you, my you friend. Now. Thank you so much. Shalom from Jerusalem. Before I go, I also want to talk about another great American who is the sponsor of this podcast. And that, of course, is my good friend, Mike Lindell. He has been canceled out of so many box stores for simply standing up for his own political opinion and disagree or not uh, or support him or not. It is a fundamental right of every American to be able to voice their opinion, and that absolutely includes politics. That absolutely includes uh, issues that are central to our culture. That includes faith. Uh, Mike is such a very sincere Christian, and I am proud to consider him a friend, and he is, of course, a friend of this show. So right now, there is a special on MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including a great towel set, which is a six-piece set, it includes two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, made in the USA, regularly $109.99, now just $39.99, but you have to use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. That tells Mike that you listen to this show, you're happy that he is uh, a sponsor of this show, and you will get great, great discounts, but use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, either at MyPillow.com or call one 800 564 8475 and use the promo code Jenna.